Super Talk Mississippi media production. Have you been seriously injured? Mama Justice is here for you. Our medical team partners with top-notch doctors, surgeons, therapists, and urologists, ensuring a comprehensive recovery journey. If you've been injured, call Mama Justice today. We're here for you. If Elizabeth and Charles were ever asked to describe their grown son, who is now an accomplished musician, who gained an enviable reputation as a gifted and influential songwriter and composer, they would have to say, William was always restless and in search of his own identity. That search ended with the world of music across planet Earth being changed forever. And yes, Mississippi was ground zero and playing the biggest part in making that happen. That story unfolds on this episode of Mississippi Magic titled, His People's Music. Right after this from our friends at Divinity Equipment. Divinity Equipment is kicking off its busiest fall ever. Come be a part. Make those fall and winter tasks the easiest and most accomplished ever. One of the reasons we always encourage you to check the website is because Divinity's team posts specials on a multitude of items that just don't last that long. From Kubota to New Holland to used equipment, equipment specials, financing deals, all there on the website. Divinity Equipment and Divinity Rental and Supply is committed to bringing you the best overall value in quality product financing and service. And no matter where you're listening to this Mississippi Magic podcast, check out DiviniEquipment.com and do some shopping. Highway 51 North in Madison, and also in the capital city of Jackson, Mississippi. And now back to this episode of Mississippi Magic called His People's Music. William was another one of those sons of a preacher man. He was born in an Alabama law cabin built by his grandfather. That his grandfather was a pastor enabled William to appreciate how much life and faith were built around music itself. A studious young man who took to education with a liking, so much so that he became a teacher himself. But soon after, what the teacher learned was that he would never become rich from that occupation. So he moved on. Well, kind of. You see, in between trying to find the job of his calling, William formed a musical group to pay the bills, and on the side, he continued teaching music. And when that quartet disbanded, he blazed a trail across the Midwest, taking jobs from singing to band director to band member to band master. It was in one of those gigs that he met his wife and settled down back in Alabama. Once again, taking a music teacher's job, ironically, at the same college he quit just a few years before for low pay. Long story short, William was still restless and still underpaid told his wife that he made more money on traveling shows, and that's the reason he was leaving school again for the second time. But that, that wasn't the only reason. It was something a lot deeper. Something that would eventually reshape the world of music. Something that had to be solved to put William's restlessness to bed. From the teaching duties to every single gig where he performed. The music was great, but it wasn't his people's music. For instance, back at his job at the college, he was once again directed to... Emphasized teaching European music, a music that William appreciated, but he felt disconnected from. To him, it was a classical form of music that his people could hear, but not feel. For most of his life, William searched for a form of music that could mold into his people's music. 
That search took him across the state line into Mississippi in 1902. He traveled from juke joints to cotton fields and listened to a multitude of music he called native music. It's said that William had a remarkable memory in recalling and transcribing the music on paper when he rested at the end of each day. He cataloged every single note from the children and grandchildren of former slaves, from a variety of free-form music that had no official structure or discipline. And as a talented composer, he became obsessed searching for that elusive, distinctive, and transformative form of music that not only told the story of hardship and pain from a history of slavery, but also a music that would free the demons in the soul by casting them out in a song. Months later, on that long and winding search, William found himself and his entire family as an official Mississippian in a city for six years as director of another band. On one of his trips out of town, about 15 miles south, the ever-restless composer was catching a night train home. Resting from a weary day and waiting for the sound of an approaching train, William was awakened by a sound that would begin his next journey. In his book, he records for all history the moment in this way. Here's what he writes. I quote, a lean, loose-jointed Negro had commenced plucking a guitar beside me while I slept. As he played, he pressed a knife on the strings of a guitar in a manner popularized by Hawaiian guitarists who used steel bars. The singer then repeated the line three times, accompanying himself on a guitar with the weirdest music I have ever heard. End quote. And this incredible awakening was followed by yet another as the composer began to hone in on his restless search. This is what happened. On one of the band's performances in another nearby town in Mississippi, William describes this encounter by saying on record that he had an enlightenment. He was conducting the orchestra, and someone requested, and I quote, our native music. He recalled a man named Prince McCoy and his band delivered the native music. And during that performance, he remembers a rain of silver dollars beginning to fall around the outlandish, stomping feet. The dancers went wild. He writes, these boys had the stuff the people wanted. Folks would pay money for it. He says that night a composer was born, an American composer. William took the raw music home in his head and in his heart, and he turned a lifetime of restlessness into a native language on sheet music, that became a document in his mind that now was his people's official music. And for the remainder of time in the Mississippi town, William, as an accomplished composer and music publisher, tamed the wild and rambling sounds, gave it life, direction, structure, and most of all gave it an official name. A name that by the son of a preacher man could have been chastised by his father as cavorting and promoting the devil's music. A name that described the wailing of woes, where one could release from deep within them all their built-up blues. Story didn't end there for William. His published works drew acclaim from some and were shunned by others. Many white bands refused to play the music, and even some black performers, those who would even please the crowd with jazz but stayed away from many sheet music with his blues compositions. But William was restless and relentless. By 1917, his publishing company had moved north to New York. And by the end of the year, he published Memphis Blues, Bill Street Blues, St. Louis Blues. <laughs> the rest is history. Little by little, William's restlessness paid off. And the blues, the music of his people, officially recognized in hit songs on the airwaves and 
sheet music compositions across the globe was now being performed. And even today, artists from other countries who can't even speak a word of English are performing the hits of legendary blues artists and legends from Muddy Waters to B.B. King. History does show that Williams' recording success was a bit more than even he expected. For instance, remember that train station in Mississippi where the raw music shook him awake and took him on a journey to immortality? That train station was immortalized in a song William did in a deal with Victor Records that he expected to sell maybe a few copies. Well, it went on to be his largest selling record. It was a song called The Yellow Dog Blues. spot in the country where the Southern crossed the Yellow Dog in the big city of Moorhead, Mississippi. And the city where William received, as he called it, his enlightenment, that city was Cleveland, Mississippi, where today stands a beautiful and expansive Grammys Museum that will tell you the story of William in a lot more detail. In those six years where he found the music of his people in that Mississippi city, there stands a blues trail marker near where, with pen in hand, he gave official birth to the blues. But on that trail marker, don't look for the name William, or for that matter, not even his middle name, Christopher. Because William Christopher, the father of the blues, is recorded for all history, not as William Christopher, but as W.C. W.C. Handy. And ground zero for the birthplace of the blues, where W.C. Handy, for six years, nurtured his family and his restlessness as a talented composer to document and share the blues to the entire world. That city is the mecca for the blues, Clarksdale, Mississippi. You know, that's just one story on just one genre of music from the pages of history that verifies without any doubt or any rivals in this country that Mississippi is the birthplace of America's music. Just one more story that should put to rest any doubt that in your state, my state, there is something real called Mississippi magic. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.